Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. So last Sunday, we looked at being the church and times of visitation. Today, we're going to look at Acts 22, but I wanted to just come back around and make a couple of comments. Last Sunday, we looked at the fact that God visits his people at times, and our part is that we submit and we cooperate and we work diligently when the Lord visits, like irrigating when the rains come. And we talked about along with the Lord visiting and pouring out his spirit that we continue to make disciples, that we think about what Jesus did, his model of the three, the 12, and the 70. Jesus poured into his 12 disciples and then he would pull aside three in particular and pour into them and then that circle spanned out to 70 and so he was regularly pouring into them teaching them from the scriptures raising them up empowering them showing them what life in the kingdom was like and so i just wanted to emphasize last week didn't do it enough but this week and moving forward we want to focus on depth of discipleship not how big crowds are So when the Lord moves and there's commentary and everybody's on social media looking at it and all, I just want all saints to think about it is better to fill a living room than a stadium. Do you agree with me? It is better to fill living rooms with small groups of people like Jesus, three people, 12 people, If your house is big enough, maybe 70. Most of us don't have a house that can accommodate 70, but it might be more than 12. We are really not interested in massive events and massive gatherings, unless the Lord's leading that, right? Our focus is on the main and the plain, the ordinary, the discipling, the diligent work, day in, day out, week in, week out. And if the Lord decides to breathe on something or there is a massive event and there's coliseums filled and stadiums, that's wonderful, but that's not our focus. Would you agree? That's really up to the Lord. And we're not into uh, campaigning and programming that just gathers a big crowd. We want real, hardcore disciples of Jesus made. People who from the beginning take up their cross, follow him, realize that we're called to multiply ourselves. And friends, this is something that we're doing. This church has a history in it, but we want to lean into it all the more in the coming days. And when the Lord visits, we think about multiplication. We multiply ourselves. We spend time with others, people at work, people at school, new believers, and we give them what the Lord's given to us. We read the Bible, we pray together, and we watch the Lord do his thing. Somebody said, yeah, thank you. So today, look at Acts 22. We've been looking at Acts for some time. 
speaking with some people this week that were talking about how much they appreciate just a longer look at books of the Bible, spending time with it, letting it, letting ourselves kind of marinate in it, letting its message get into us. And we've watched Acts 22, just this narrative, this story build up to this point. And now we're in the final stretch of the story. Paul is going to stand before various key leaders. He's going to share his story. He's going to defend himself against accusations. And we know that the Lord is arranging this for Paul. Jesus said in Luke 12, he looked at his disciples and he said, I'm going away and you will stand before religious leaders and other authorities and you will speak to them and you will testify of the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need in that moment. And now we get to see the Apostle Paul doing that. We're going to see this happen with him. And so we're going to look at chapter 22, and we're not going to look at the whole chapter really from here on out. We're, we're going to zero in on certain portions. We're only going to look at verses 1 through 21, and then even within that, we're going to focus on certain things. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing across the earth right now. And we pray that you would empower us like never before to hear your voice, to make disciples, to experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing in us. We love you. Speak to us today through your word. Amen. So if you look at your Bible, there'll be a slide up here as well. But what we're looking at begins really back in, verse, in chapter 21 at verse 37 so that we can see here a little bit of the background. Paul is arrested. He's going to make a defense. And what he's doing here is clarifying his identity He's, been, he's being falsely accused. They think that Paul is someone else, and he's actually saying, I'm not the person you think that I am. I'm not this Egyptian revolutionary. So let's read verses 1 through 5. And again, the narrative is kind of overlapping at different places, but for the sake of time, let's look at verse 1 of chapter 22. Paul says, brothers and fathers, and again, he's addressing the rulers and authorities here. He says, brothers and fathers, listen to the defense that I now make before you. When they heard Paul addressing them in Hebrew, they became even more quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, educated strictly according to our ancestral law, being zealous for God just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way up to the point of death by binding both men and women and putting them in prison as the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. From them I also received letters to the brothers in Damascus and I went there in order to bind those who were there and to bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment. So what Paul is doing here in these first five verses, he's asking if he can address them, and then he's speaking to them, and they've falsely accused him. They've said, is this the guy from Egypt who gathers assassins together and overthrows governments? That's what the previous verses said, and Paul says, no, that is not what I'm doing. I'm a Jew. I'm a faithful Jew. I'm from Tarsus. 
and he asks to speak to them, and he receives permission. But friends, this, is, this could pass us by here. What Paul's going to be doing over and over again until the book of Acts is he is explaining that Christianity is not a political movement. He's telling the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities. He's saying we serve another king, Jesus, but it's not political. And Christianity can actually coexist within the Roman Empire without causing revolution or overthrow. That is what's going to happen. And some of you are going, well, big deal. That's kind of boring. These speeches are boring. It's really not. It's incredibly pertinent today. One person looking at this passage, listen to what they say. One major point of Paul's speech is to distinguish the Christians, this is us, from violent, politically motivated movements. You hear that? This new faith that Paul is speaking about is no political risk to Rome. Paul is also not anti-Jewish. His work is in line with the promises of the Jewish faith. This is important for us today, isn't it? When there's all kinds of political madness swirling around and the church is trying to figure her way in the midst of it, Jesus is our king, Jesus is our Lord, and even in Paul's words here, he's telling us that the Christian faith is actually rooted in the ancient Jewish faith, the Jewish faith of the Old Testament, and that has not been a threat at all to the Roman authorities. What's also interesting here, and I want us to think about this for a moment, what Paul is arguing is, I'm not a part of something that's so new that it could be potentially threatening the empire. Actually, what I'm doing here is really old. My faith is rooted in an ancient tradition. And friends, I was thinking about this this week. Oftentimes we, the modern church, contemporary church, we're always looking for the new stuff, aren't we? We go to the bookstore, we look online, show me the new, what's new? What's the latest? What are people saying? And what Paul is modeling here is, you know what? We're, show me the old stuff. Let's get back to our roots. That's what Paul is saying here. And so I want to encourage us in the fascination with the new and the novel and all of this. Let's get back to the roots. Read your Old Testament for the first time. If you haven't read it in a while, the Christian faith springs out of the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. Ask for the Lord to speak to you. I encourage some of you, I talk with a young adult about it quite a bit. There's a lot of rich writing from early Christians those first three or four hundred years. There's writings on the person of Jesus, on prayer, on the Holy Spirit, waiting for you to discover it. I mention some of those people at different times. The early church fathers, that stuff will fire a church up. You read those things that's steeped in scripture, steeped in the word of God. Paul is going on to say in these verses here, he's trying to identify with the Jewish authorities there, and he's saying, you know what? I'm probably more zealous than you are about the Jewish faith. I actually was so jealous to the point of persecuting these early Christians. So he's trying to develop rapport in this speech here. The second thing, at verses 6 through 11, Paul's going to tell his story. So here he has the opportunity before the Jews 
and he'll do this multiple times with Jewish people and with the Roman authorities, he's going to say, let me tell you about my encounter with the person of Jesus. Let's look at that at verse 6, 6 through 11, Paul's encounter with the Lord Jesus. He goes on in his story, while I was on my way and approaching Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone about me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? Then he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light but did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I asked, what am I to do, Lord? The Lord said to me, get up and go to Damascus. There you will be told everything that has been assigned to you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, those who were with me took my hand and led me to Damascus. Friends, where else have we heard this story? Can you remember another chapter in Acts? What, what chapter in Acts did we hear of Paul's conversion for the first time? Can you remember? Important one to remember. Chapter 9, that's correct. Really, really important. So... In a song or in a movie, a film, if something is repeated, what is that telling you? It's important. It's central. There's something really, really important that the artist is trying to convey. Luke is telling us here, for the second time, we're seeing Paul's story, his conversion story. So we perk up and we say, why is this being told to us? The first time it's being told, this is how it happened with Paul. And now here we have it in first person. Paul is saying, this is how it happened from my vantage point. This is directly from the source, Paul's encounter with Jesus. I can't get enough of it. I loved 13 chapters later, here we are again, hearing about Paul's story. It's marvelous, isn't it? Nothing like it in the New Testament. It's amazing. It's about noon, which lets us know the glory that hit Paul had to be astoundingly bright. The very Shekinah glory of the Old Testament that we see in the temple is now surrounding Paul and blazing around him in the noonday sun in a desert context. He falls to the ground. He hears the voice of the resurrected Jesus. He says, who are you, Lord? Just as we found in chapter 9. And what's interesting here is there's a little bit of difference from what chapter 9 says. His companions with him, here they're seeing the light, but they're not hearing, they're not understanding the voice of the one speaking. If you're a careful Bible student, you'll notice these things. He's going to tell his story again another time, so we're going to have it three times before the book is over. But this one is not contradicting what was said in chapter 9. It's Jesus speaking only to Paul, so only he is understanding the words, right? It's important to see these things. In John 12, 29, something that kind of parallels this, the voice of the Father speaks loudly when Jesus is conducting his ministry, and it booms like thunder. And some of the people understand what the voice says. Other people said, this is wild. A thunderclap just happened. And so it's similar to Paul's experience here as he encounters these phenomena, the glory, 
the voice of Jesus speaking to him, some of those there didn't perceive and didn't fully understand what was happening. Friends, I don't want to let this go by again. Paul is going to unpack this experience multiple times in his letters. He's going to revisit this moment, wouldn't you? Here you've been hating a particular group of people. Every ounce of your energy is focused on exterminating them, imprisoning them, throwing them into jail, persecuting them, enjoying their death. And he encounters the resurrected Lord Jesus, and it turns his life upside down. Friends, I've shared before, this passage here gives me hope that Jesus can enter the life of anyone that we know and change them in an instant. So part of the message that Luke is wanting to convey through Paul's story is that it's through an encounter with Jesus that lives are changed. That's what the text is shouting this morning. Again, for the second time. It is as people encounter the living, resurrected Lord Jesus, that their lives are changed and transformed. We saw it here from Christ hater to Christ lover with Paul. From Christian persecutor to Christian church planter. But look around the room. The same thing is playing out in our community here. You've encountered Jesus You've moved from slave to drugs to bond slave of Christ. From porn addiction to purity of heart, walking in holiness. From being drunk with wine to being filled with the Holy Spirit. This church is filled with these kinds of stories, is it not? Some of you are going, that is my story. And we want to highlight that. We always want to leave space and attention, moments where we get to share our stories, and we do that. We've done that recently. Yosef stood up before the church and shared just a little bit of his story because Yosef encountered the resurrected Lord Jesus in a different way than Paul did, but in a similar way. Jesus entered his life, set him on a whole new course, On Easter Sunday, we're going to be hearing from Megan Suarez. She's going to share some of her story of a way that she met Jesus. So, friends, this is the way we operate around here. I've shared personally that Jesus has saved me from drinking too much, from medicating pain in my life, and filled me with the Holy Spirit, given me new appetites. This is how we are around this church. We share our stories. We're transparent. And there may even be someone here today who needs to get knocked off their horse, like Paul, who needs to encounter Jesus in a new way, to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, to be turned upside down, right side up, and set on a whole new path. There may be someone here today who needs to hear that. Will Jesus actually enter my life and set me free? And friends, he will. I want to take a moment here. If that's you, let's all pray as a church. Close our eyes. Jesus, thank you that you give us this story with Paul. 
You entered his life. Your glory, your light shone into his life, changed him forever. So I pray if there's someone here that needs to have an encounter with you, they would do it right now. They would reach out to you. It's as simple as saying, I surrender to you, Jesus. I submit to your lordship. Would you save me and set me free? Amen. And if that's you, I would encourage you to come up for prayer at the end of the service and talk to someone. Tell them, you know what? I prayed that prayer. Would you pray with me? And it can be someone who's coming back to Jesus. could be someone who needs to come to Jesus for the first time. Friends, we want to encounter Jesus. That's the life of the church, isn't it? It's what we're here for, to encounter the Lord Jesus. Let's look at verses 12 through 16 here. Man, I love this stuff. I got to be honest, okay? Can I be honest here? As I look at the end of Acts, sometimes I go, ah, this is tough. Because we have Paul traveling around and he's bound in chains and he's giving these messages and there's some overlap. But I'm finding some richness in it like I'd never had before. The Lord's speaking and that's why we walk through passages like like this. Because the Lord gave it the way it is structured in a particular way for a reason. And so I think there's things in this for us to experience. Verses 12 through 16. Paul's going to receive a message, a prophetic message from this man, Ananias. A certain Ananias, who was a devout man according to the law and well spoken of by all the Jews living there, came to me. And standing beside me, he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. In that very hour, I regained my sight and saw him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear his own voice. For you will be his witness to all the world of what you have both seen and heard. And now, Paul, why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and have your sins washed away, calling on his name. So we see, again, some detail here that we didn't encounter in chapter 9. This respected member of the church in Damascus, Ananias, comes. He gives Paul, Saul, a prophetic word, pronounces healing in the name of Jesus, and his sight is restored. He tells him, why are you waiting? Get with it. Be baptized. Have your sins washed away, calling on his name. Now, this does not mean that baptism saves us, that it's baptism that literally washes away our sin. We know that from other places in Acts and the whole council of Scripture, don't we? Baptism is not magical. It's a symbol, an outward symbol of what God is doing in the heart. And that is what the text is saying here is that Paul... Saul, like everybody else, is saved by calling on the name of the Lord, by calling out to the Lord Jesus. But then, Acts has showed us time and time again, and our young people have gotten a hold of this, when we profess that, we submit to Jesus, we get baptized. 
as a demonstration that we're identifying with his death, with the death and resurrection of Jesus and entering into his church. Now, this is another place, these verses here, where prophecy is mentioned. Ananias is speaking in a prophetic way. He's hearing from the Lord and he's speaking a prophetic message and he's telling Saul what his future looks like, what his calling looks like. And so we're saying again, okay, Lord, we get the message. You speak. And I just want to address this for a moment here. Some people might look at all saints or they might come through here and say, you guys talk about spiritual gifts quite a bit and you talk about the New Testament gift of prophecy in particular. Are you guys balanced? And what I want to say is we're walking through the book of Acts and we've encountered it over and over again. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, 40 times up to this point where you've got Jesus speaking, the Father speaking, the Holy Spirit speaking to his church, through his church. Some are apostles, some are not. The Lord speaks. And so if it's in the book, we're going to practice it. Right? We believe in all of God's activity, all the different gifts of the Holy Spirit. We celebrate all of them. But there is something in particular about the gift of prophecy because it calls out people's destinies and other gifts. And so if it's in the New Testament, we're going to lean into it and practice it. Would you agree? And we want balance, but we want the balance that the scriptures teach. Right? And the scriptures don't teach that you do prophetic ministry once a year or that you practice certain gifts every quarter or something. No, we want the dynamic activity of the Holy Spirit every time we're together. And we, the key is order. We do it in a way that's orderly as the apostles teach and model. Would you agree? So when you gather in small groups, in your homes, other places, we gather on Sunday, we expect God to speak to us through the written word, first and foremost, but also to highlight certain things. It's what the New Testament teaches, and it's permeated. The whole New Testament is permeated with the Lord speaking. I mentioned 40 times in Acts, Jesus was known as a prophet, so you would expect his movement to have prophecy in it. Paul's letters are filled with this. We look at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. 1 Thessalonians 5, regularly. The final book of the New Testament is one long prophecy. So we get the message, the Lord speaks. Let's end with this, 17 through 21, Paul's vision. And I'm going to have Kelly Glass come up and announce something here. Verses 17 through 21. This is an important counter that we find here for the first time. After I returned to Jerusalem, Paul says... And while I was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. That's rather strange, isn't it? I saw Jesus saying to me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And while the blood of your witness Stephen was shed, look at this, I myself was standing by approving and keeping the coats of those who killed Stephen. Then he said to me, go 
for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Paul is having another encounter with Jesus in the temple. He says he's returned to Jerusalem. This is sometime after. He's had a brief ministry time in Damascus, three years in the Arabian desert, and now he's encountering Jesus in the temple. So we see again the early church modeling direct encounters with the person of Jesus. And friends, this is a touching place here. Paul is sharing some insight into his own heart when Stephen was martyred. He said, I gave approval. I was there. I was holding the garments of people while they were stoning Stephen. Friends, this is tender. It's beautiful. I was thinking this week as I read this about one of the early church fathers that said this. Paul got to see it and experience. Listen to what this early church father says. The more often we are mown down, M-O-W-N, we are mown down by our enemies, the more in number we grow. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That was Tertullian writing about 120 years after Christ. And so Paul got to see that. Paul got to see as the intensification, people like Stephen and others being cut down for the faith in Christ, being put to death. Paul got to see that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The Lord's kingdom, the Lord's church can't be stopped. And friends, this is happening all over the world right now. We've got martyrs giving their life, not denying their faith in Christ, no matter what, their very lives are threatened. Paul will go on, not making martyrs, but himself being a martyr. Let's stand, church. The rest of this passage, there's so much in it, but Paul will go on to, in the midst of this, another mob forms. They want to kill Paul. They stretch him out. They're about to flog him mercilessly, whip him, beat him. And Paul turns around to the people. There's some humor in it. And he goes, you know what? I'm a Roman citizen. Is it lawful for you to be doing this? He waits till the very last minute. Takes their breath away. They said, oh my gosh, we could get in trouble for this. And so Paul is going to be brought before another tribunal. And so he's on his way to Rome and to Jerusalem. So Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul, the example here. Thank you that he encountered you, Lord Jesus that he goes on to be a great disciple maker and defender of the faith. We pray that you'd put that same fire in us as a church. We'd follow you at all costs. We love you so much. Thank you that we're in your community and in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.